Well, who's ready to have a better 2023? Anybody out there, you ready? Let's go. Um, I, I can't tell you how expectant I am for this year, what God wants to do in our church. I'm so glad you're here. Uh, this past week, I was actually uh, reviewing uh, some things I wrote in my journal. I, has anyone else struggled journaling over the years? Anybody out there? I've tried so many times and failed and failed and failed until about five years ago. The only thing that's kept me consistent is I found what's called the five-year journal. It's what I'm holding right here. This is mine. What it does, um, it's pretty neat. Every page of this journal has five different entries. They're really short. It's only like five lines per entry. It takes me like two or three minutes to write. But the five entries per day um, is for five different years. So like, for example, when I wrote my entry for 2023, I can see what was exactly what was happening in 2022, 2021, 2020, and 2019, all on one page, and it's really quick. And what this has helped me do is it's helped me look back on my life and see what was going on in different years, different times. It's helped me see patterns. Um, what was I praying about? What was I worrying about? Certain times a year, the, the same things kind of seem to come up. And so it's been really helpful. If this, if this would be helpful for you, I'll put this on social media for you. I don't get anything from that at all. I just want it to be helpful for you if you want that. But the reason I'm telling you about my five-year-old journal is because this past week, um, I always write a summary at the end of the year. And I was looking at my summaries for the end of the year for the past five years, and I just started cracking up laughing. In 2019, I wrote this in, in my summary. 2019 was a very hard year. Then at the end of 2020, I was writing my 2020 summary. I drew a line back to that line. And it's like, better luck next year, buddy, you know? And while, you know, we, we can laugh at that right now, what's not funny for many of us is you need 2023 to be a better year. Some of you need that. And I believe you being here and this new series we're gonna kick off is going to help. But let me start... Uh, 2023 this way. I want to tell you what is not going to help you if you do what you've always done. In fact, the definition of insanity, um, Albert Einstein gave us this. He said this, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, and then what? Expecting a different result. That's insane. In fact, I wrote this, this way in my notes. If you want change but don't change anything, nothing changes. So you have to do something different to have a better year. And I'm gonna be bold as we start this year off. I'm gonna tell you there's one thing many of you need right now to have a better year. It's one word, and here's the word, consistency. I am convinced with everything inside of me that when I look at the past couple years in my own life, when I talk with people, I think many of us have gotten out of the habit of being just consistent and even the basic things we know we should be doing. And here's why that matters more than you can ever, ever imagine. Transformation happens when you do consistently what others do occasionally. Someone should be writing that down right now. Write that down. Transformation happens when you do consistently what others do occasionally. And I would tell you that it's, it's the small Things you do consistently that lead to the results you want, not the big things you do occasionally. And it, it's taken me so long to learn this. I'll, I'm just going to give you an example from my own life. I'll give you an example of my parenting. As a young dad, 
Um, I mess this up all the time. I was so convinced as a dad that what was going to transform my kid's life was like a moment, a big event. So I would, I would try to plan like the perfect vacation or like I have three girls. If I just get the perfect date night with them, it'll change everything. Or I'd plan these, you know, a big event somewhere. And Jamie keeps telling me, what are you doing? And I realized, and I hope a parent hears, hears this today, I realized sometimes almost painfully that it's not the big things you do as a parent that transform your kids. It's the small things you do consistently, daily or weekly. I will promise a parent this. That trip you planned to Disneyland, 20 years from now, it will not matter one single bit in transforming your kids' lives. They may not even barely remember it. You know what'll transform them? Some daily or weekly consistent habit that you do with them that could change everything. I called up Jamie when I was writing this message tonight and because she, she grew up in a, in a household where they were always doing big events. I mean, they, they had big trips and big things they were all doing. So I just asked her, I said, hey, what, what transformed your life? And without even blinking, she said, my parents' consistency at church week in and week out and every morning watching my dad in God's word. It changed her. If you ask me that question, I would say my parents' consistency in church, they had us there every weekend. And I would say my mom, and this is just crazy to me, her faithfulness and consistency every single night when she tucked me in at night, she would take out this old devotional and she would read me some of God's word and do a little devo. Now, did, did one of those nights she did that with me, did that change me? No, there's nights I was like, get out of my room, woman. <laughs> but do you understand the cumulative effect of that small, consistent thing done over time? It changed my life. Here's the lesson. Small things done consistently almost always trump big things that you would do occasionally. I'll say it one more time. Small things that you, it seems small to you, that you do consistently almost always trump these big things that you put so much weight into and you do them occasionally. And that's true of every area of life. Listen, every three months, if you ran 10 miles, you just end up sore. That's it. If you ran just a half a mile every day, that could change everything. Listen, one trip to Tahiti is not gonna save your marriage. But being in a small group weekly with other married couples encouraging you, that could change everything. And while that's true in all these other areas, you know, parenting, physical fitness, marriage, it is never more true than in our faith, spiritually. And that is why if you were here at our Christmas services, my challenge to you at our Christmas services was, was what? January and February, let's do what the writer of Hebrews said. Hebrews 10.25, let's not give up meeting together as in some are in the habit of doing. And many of us, when we look back over the last couple years, we've got out of the habit of just the very basic consistency of being in church every weekend with God's people. And so I said January and February, two months, because experts tell us it takes eight weeks to really form a new habit, to get consistent. So I said January and February, don't miss a weekend of church. And some of you are here because of that challenge. And I want to say, great job. In fact, can we give everyone a hand? It's like, you're, you're here. Like you, this is... Listen, it doesn't seem like a big deal, but consistency week in and week out, that's how you change your life. 
What I want to do over the next five weeks, though, is I want to just give you five things that can become consistent in your life that will transform your life for you to go all in in 2023 in your faith. And I'm going to start today, and the message is titled, I'm Invited. Now, I want to talk to everyone today, everyone here today, but I want to talk specifically to a very specific group of people today, and that's those of you that don't really feel very comfortable in a church setting like this. And you know who you are. It may be why you're watching online right now. You know, some of you, the the issue you've had is, is you're just new. And what we know is sometimes new environments don't feel very inviting. You could feel almost uninvited. Like, it's so new. Some of you have, have a spouse or a boyfriend or girlfriend who is so gung-ho about being here, and honestly, you're not. You know who you are. And the reason some of you are not is because you think, if people knew my past, you look around here and you think there's a bunch of perfect people, wrong. There's a bunch of imperfect people just trying to, to chase after Jesus. But you look around and you think, well, if they knew my past, They'd rege- I wouldn't be accepted at all. If they knew my present, what I'm going through right now, I wouldn't be accepted. Some of you, it's a little bit different. Some of you had a really, really painful past church experience. And it takes everything for you to come back and to even feel invited into a place like this because it was so painful what you went, went through. I don't care who you are. What I know is this. One of the worst feelings in life is to not feel invited to feel uninvited. You ever been scrolling through social media and you see a group of friends, your group of friends, and you're like, oh, thanks for the invite. I think that's how a lot of people feel about church. They just don't feel invited. And if that's you, I wanna tell you a core message of the gospel today, and it's very simple, it's this. It's that Jesus invites the people others reject. And I'm gonna show you this so clearly today from the book of Luke chapter seven. Let me just give you a little context so you can understand what's going on. In Luke chapter seven, Jesus has just started teaching people like who, who he really is. He's, he's hit the scene, he's teaching sermons. He's, and when he teaches, here's what happens. The people love it. Like people are so drawn to Jesus. The religious leaders of the day hate it. The Pharisees can't stand Jesus' teaching. Why? Jesus' teaching is so inviting. People feel so drawn to Jesus. The Pharisees of the day, their teaching was all designed to keep people out, to put up barriers to think you, make you feel like you don't belong, you're not accepted, you're uninvited, and Jesus' teaching was radical. But what happens on this day is Jesus actually gets invited to a dinner party at one of the Pharisees' house, Very, probably just out of obligation, now, this isn't the kind of party you, you're probably thinking of. You know, guys weren't sitting around a Traeger, you know, grill, grilling meal, drinking beers, watching an NFL game. It wasn't that kind of party. This was kind of a religious who's who elitist party. And what would happen in that day is that these parties, um, Pharisees and religious leaders would gather in a courtyard in someone's home, so it was kind of an open-air environment, around a U-shaped table and they would all have dinner, and they would, it would be like the religious who's who would show up. And because Jesus was a rabbi, he probably got out of obligation. He got invited. And what they would do is they'd sit around and talk about these really weighty things, like theology, like, what's your hermeneutic on? You know, they talk about politics and culture and all sorts of, you know, weighty things. But what was interesting about this environment is that people in town, you couldn't sit at the table, 
but you could gather around it outside the courtyard and listen in. And people did it all the time. Now, why would people go and listen in? Well, think about it. They had no social media back then. They had no internet. There was no Netflix or Hulu or no binge watching, you know, Real Housewives of Jerusalem, you know, whatever, I don't know, whatever, <laughs> whatever they did back then. But so, so listening to these conversations would be about as close as you could get to reality TV, entertainment. And I, the text doesn't tell this, but I can almost guarantee you there was a huge, huge crowd that day. And here's why. Because Jesus and the Pharisees didn't get along. Jesus loved them, but they hated him. So this would have been the equivalent of you getting an invitation to eavesdrop on a conversation between, you know, maybe Harry and Meghan and the royal family, right? Maybe Taylor Swift and Kanye having dinner. You get to listen in on that. Yeah, I don't know, it would be like uh, Brooks Kepka, Bison Deep Chambeau, like having dinner together, or, you know, me getting an invitation to the Cat Lover Society of Arizona. I don't know, something like that, you know. I don't even know if that exists, by the way, but if it did, I'm not getting an invite, right? So they're listening in. I mean, there's a huge crowd, and what happens is Jesus got an invitation to the table, but then someone showed up at the table that's not supposed to be there. You're not invited. And we pick up the story in Luke chapter 7, verse, verse 37. A woman in the town who lived a sinful life. Now just pause there. That's code word for she was the town prostitute. Lived a sinful life. She learned that Jesus was eating. He got an invitation. He's eating at this Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume, probably her life savings. Verse 38, as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with, his, with her tears. And then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. Now, when I read scripture, I, I just, I like to put myself in the scene. So I just want you to, to picture this. There's all these religious elite and this woman who everyone knows is a sinner. She's literally on her, she's, she's on her knees like at the feet of Jesus and she's just bawling, crying, all her shame, all of her tears. And she's just, it, it's, she's crying so much. You'd have to, it'd be hard for you to understand her emotion that they're just streaming on the feet of Jesus and she's wet his feet and out of her embarrassment and just not even thinking, she lets her hair down, which no one would have ever done. In, in the Talmud, we know the Jewish law at the time, a woman letting her hair down in public was the equivalent of exposing her breasts. She doesn't know what to do. She's so, she's so broken in thinking that Jesus can change her life. She lets it down. She wipes his feet. And then she breaks open this jar of perfume that we hear later on would be worth about a year's salary. It's this huge amount. And she pours it on his feet. Verse 39, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man, if this man knew, if he was a prophet, he would know who's touching him and what kind of woman she is. She is a sinner. She's disgusting. She's rejected. She's despised. She's nasty. And he would immediately uninvite her. Here's the problem. Jesus did know who she was. He knew exactly who she was. In fact, Jesus knew every man this woman had slept with, given her body to. He knew every shameful thing she had ever done. What else did he know? I want you to think about this story today a little bit differently. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to, to picture in your mind a young, broken, hurting woman 
that is a prostitute at the feet of Jesus. And here's the question I wanna ask you today, and this is the question I want you to just answer in, in your mind right now. Do you think she wanted to be a prostitute? And the answer is, absolutely not. Guaranteed. I can guarantee you with everything inside of me, there's no way this girl was 13 years old, sitting around with her friends, playing. They start saying, hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? One girl says, I'm going to be a teacher. Next girl says, I'm going to be a mom. Next girl says, I'm going to be a musician. It gets to her and she goes, I can't wait to be a prostitute. I can't wait to sell my, there is no possible way this woman ever in her wildest imagination thought that she would be a prostitute then how did she get herself into this mess? Maybe it happened the way some of us got into our mess. Now just think about this. Maybe this woman grew up and as a teenager she was taken advantage of by a boy at a party or maybe even multiple boys. Maybe her parents put her up for adoption and she's wondered why did they not want me the whole rest of her life and she just felt rejected? Maybe, maybe she was married and her husband left her and she was homeless and she, she had no other way to earn an income. Maybe she was sexually abused. Maybe she was abused by her dad who twisted his daughter's mind and manipulated her and abused her in the worst possible way. And in her confusion and her shame, she started to blame herself. She thought it was her fault and men have been abusing her ever since. Hey, I'm just thinking out loud. Maybe her parents died when she was little. And she's the oldest sibling, of, and she has two younger siblings. She has a two-year-old little sister. And they're on the streets. They have nothing. And her little two-year-old sister gets sick. And she's going to die because they have no money for medicine. And some man walks up and says this. I know how you can earn money. And she didn't want to. And she hated it. She despised it. But it saved her little sister's life. And once she started, it just, it just never stopped. I don't know what happened. All I know is this woman didn't want this lifestyle, but every place she went, she was rejected by everyone around her, and she did not feel invited. She felt dirty. She felt ashamed. She felt like there was no way out. I wonder if you've ever felt that way. You ever felt dirty? You ever felt ashamed? You ever felt like there's, there's really not a way out? Like how did I get to this situation in life? Here I am, I never thought I'd be divorced. I never thought I'd be addicted. I never thought my mental health would be this spiraled out of control and if anyone knew, if anyone knew how bad it was behind closed doors, I never thought I'd be broke bankrupt, I never had any idea I'd be addicted. You ever felt shamed like that? This woman felt that way. And she felt uninvited in every single scenario and yet somehow when she got around Jesus, she felt invited. She felt welcomed. How? I believe with everything inside of me, somehow she heard Jesus preach, either earlier that day or maybe earlier that week. And I'm just telling you, when Jesus taught, it was different. See, when Jesus taught, what he did is 
He did something so different. See, he didn't just say, you're a sinner. You're a sinner. And he didn't just lead with not, not, not just, just truth. It wasn't just all grace. Jesus wasn't like, ah, don't worry about it. You're forgiven. Just keep on rolling that way. What did Jesus do? Let me show you exactly who Jesus was. John chapter one, verse 14. This is so amazing. It says, Jesus is full of, say it out loud with me, full of what? Grace and truth. Now the word full means to be complete, which means what? Jesus wasn't 50% truth and 50% grace. He was 100% all truth and all grace, 100%. And that's what this woman experienced. I don't know what sermon she heard, but I know this. The day that Jesus met her, that same day, in Luke chapter seven, it says Jesus actually interacted with John the Baptist's disciples. In the book of Matthew, the same exact event with Jesus and John the Baptist's disciples, we see the sermon Jesus was preaching that day. And I think this just might have been the sermon this woman heard that caused her to run to the feet of Jesus that had complete truth and complete grace and to find mercy. Listen to what she might have heard. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 through 30. Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? All the Christians and religious people you've been hanging out with, like you've interacted with, are you burned on that? Come to me. Get away with me, Jesus says, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I love this. I won't lay anything on you, anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Could you imagine a woman that has been uninvited in every scenario hearing someone preach that she could be loved and experience grace and have a fresh start. And I think it was that message that had her sprinting. She couldn't compel, she couldn't hold it back anymore. She ran even into a dinner party to interrupt it at the feet of Jesus. CCV, that's the kind of church we have to be. No matter who people feel like they are, what they've been through, they feel like they can run into an environment where they can experience Jesus. That's the kind of place we have to be. And let me make you a promise as your pastor. We will never, ever compromise the truth of God's word. Ever. I don't care what culture says. I don't care what laws are passed. I don't care if I get thrown in prison. We will never compromise the truth of God's word. We will be all truth. I don't care. Hey, as much as you may like that, let me tell you what else we're gonna do. We'll do that, but we will show people a better way with love, with grace, come on, with compassion, the way Jesus did. We gotta be all truth and all grace, and it is hard, but it's possible because Jesus modeled the way for us. Do you know what didn't change this woman's story? Listen to this. Judging this woman's lifestyle didn't change her lifestyle. Shaming her didn't set her free. What did? The love and compassion that Jesus showed her in the midst of her biggest mess. I was 
talking with a really young man this past week who a few years ago really messed up. I mean, he messed up bad. And when he did, a few years ago, I reached out to him and never heard back. I wasn't sure why, and he told me this week why. And here's what he told me. He said, Ashley, when I, when I made that big mess in my life, almost every Christian started scheduling meetings with me and sitting down with me, and, and what they did is they would just shower their judgment down, shower down judgment, shower it down. He said, I walked away from every single meeting feeling like a piece of, you can fill in the blank what he said. He said, when I thought about meeting with you, my pastor, he said, I just didn't think I could maybe take that from you. And when he said that, it just broke my heart because I wouldn't have watered down the truth of him, but I would have not have judged. I would have come with him with so much love. I, I, I hope I would, but I just, it just broke my heart to think that here's a guy that thinks what most people think, that if they go to a Christian in the midst of their mess, they're gonna be showered with judgment. We have to change the narrative if we wanna change our city. And I wanna show you the story of a woman in our church that had a big mess. And luckily, she experienced something so different. Watch this. Go ahead and have a seat. Okay. This is like nerve wracking. Okay, I see how this works. Can you see me? Yes, but- I'm here today to be able to tell you that God saved me. My name is Danielle, and by God's grace and mercy, I got sober March 14, 2020. I grew up Catholic. Baptism, confirmation, communion was a must. Um, it was more of I have to. By the time I was 23, I was addicted to heroin. I became homeless. In 2004, 15, I got out on a plane and I came out to Phoenix, Arizona to get sober. So I never thought a drug addict would be accepted walking through the doors of a church. I was scared, I was nervous, I was fearful because I never really knew who God was. When I walked through the doors of CCV, I felt accepted. I wasn't looked at as a drug addict. I was looked at part of something. So I kept going to CZV and a pastor handed me a study Bible and I read it and I got interested and I kept reading. So I was attending church every Sunday. I was reading my Bible every night to my son. When my son was about eight months old, I stopped going to church. I stopped reading. It became about him. It wasn't about relying on God to keep me sober. It was all about my son. And I forgot who saved me in the first place. and I happened to be walking down 20th Street, and I remembered CCV was right around the corner. I walked into the parking lot. I didn't think anybody was gonna be there, and a staff member came out. 
and they handed me a backpack of food and they knew me from coming to CCV and we talked about my struggles and how my relapse happened, but we prayed and we prayed hard for me to come back to Christ and choose him to be first in my life again. I gave God the fight of my life. I got sober. Life hasn't been the same since. God's done so much in my life, but it's when I put God down and I don't put God first is when my life seems to shift. So after graduating Crossroads, the first Sunday after being hired and being able to leave properly, I went straight to CCV. And there was no more shame, no more guilt. There was a free being as a child of God. And I walked through those doors and everybody I came in contact with, I was able to be honest with. I hadn't been around for almost a year. And I began to worship and I felt at home again. It's a safe place here. I feel safe. I walked through the doors with my son, hand in hand, dropped him off at the kids' ministry, and I walked into the big church, and I haven't left since. CCV planted a seed that day, and my relationship with God grew from there. That good? Danielle, uh, your story is an inspiration to us, and I love that in the midst of her mess, she still felt invited, she felt welcome, and I love that she said it's a safe place. You know, there's so many people in our valley that feel like the church would be the most unsafe place for them to go in their messes, and we have to change that narrative. But for all of us, I want you to remember what she said. You, you know when her life started really spiraling out of control? Again, when she, when she became inconsistent she said, I, I didn't put God first. I just started turning. My, my son became my priority. My kids, my, my work, my, I'm tired. I mean, inconsistency takes your life down a path. But you end up in a place you don't want to be. You know what you didn't hear about Danielle's story was this, is that when she was born, her parents put her up for adoption. And she spent the majority of her early years struggling with, why wouldn't a mom or dad want me? Some of you know what that feels like. And she had a void in her heart that she started trying to fill with drugs and other things that put her, put her life in a place that she never wanted it to be. And what I know with every ounce in me right now is there's someone here today and you have a void in your heart. It's not because a mom or dad left you. It's not because of drugs, potentially. It could be. But there's a void in your heart, and I don't know what caused it, but you know it's there. You feel the void. When you go to bed at night, you mask it all the time with alcohol or watching another show, but you feel the void when you know, you know it's there. It could be because you didn't have a great childhood. It could be because of someone who abused you. It could be because you thought that if you had enough success in life and you had enough money in your bank account or you got the big promotion, that that would fill that void that, you, that, you, that you've always felt. But now you've got all that, and you still feel it. And this God-sized void you feel right now, that God-sized hole can only be filled by one person and one thing, and that is God's love. 
And I want you to hear today that God's inviting you to fill that void with him. I want to tell you two things today. One, you're invited. I don't care who you are, what you've done. God's grace and mercy is free for you today. But the second thing is you have to say yes to the invitation. You have to say yes. And God's grace is so big. You, you know what? You know the last thing Jesus told this woman that fell at his feet? This simple woman who lived a crazy simple life. Listen to this, Luke 7, 48. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. And everyone gasped, what? And then he said, your faith has saved you. Go in what? Peace. That's what you want. You need peace. You want peace. And everyone would have gasped because they would say this. How could Jesus give a fresh start to someone who's so far gone? You know how he can do it? Because Jesus is God's son, came to this earth to live a perfect life. He died on a cross, was buried three days later, rose again, conquered death. When you do that, you have the power and the ability to change anyone at any time, including you. That's what God can do in your life. And he's just inviting you today. He's inviting some of you today. And I just want to say this. As we start 2023, some of you need a fresh start. There's no better way to have a fresh start than giving your life to Jesus. But you have to say yes. The invitation is there. You gotta open the invitation, you gotta say yes. How do you say yes? It's three simple things. One, you have to, you have to believe. Remember, Jesus said your, your faith, your, your belief in me has saved you. You gotta believe who Jesus is. You have to make a decision that you need to repent and turn from your, your old way of living. That's what this woman's doing at the feet of Jesus. She's saying, I'm tired, I wanna do it differently. I'm broken, I'm just so tired of living life this way. You gotta do that. And three, you need to drive a stake in the ground and choose baptism. You need to get baptized. Because what is baptism? Baptism is an outward expression of an inward commitment. It's you driving a stake in the ground. It's you doing with your life what Jesus did for you. Jesus died and rose again, and when you're baptized, you go underneath the water, which symbolizes Jesus' death, and when you come out of the water, it symbolizes you have a brand new life, a fresh start. And as we start 2023, guess what? This weekend, on every campus, after every service, we're doing baptisms. And if you know that's you that needs to give your life to Jesus today, after the service, you go straight to the baptistry. We have volunteers and staff there that can help any, answer any questions you have. And listen, you'd say, well, I didn't come prepared. We are always prepared for you. Always. Change of clothes, shirt, shorts, a towel. And we have material that will help you start taking your next steps in your faith journey. And if that's you, I want to challenge you right after the service. You say yes. There's no way to have a better 2023 no better way to start your 2023. But for all of us today, I want, to, I want you to hear this, you're invited. Every single week into CCV. And this is the year that you need to get back in the habit of being consistent. No more excuses, no more wavering, no more kids, sports, I'm tired. Why? Transformation happens when you do consistently 
what others do occasionally. Do you want to have a better 2023? You got to be consistent. I want to give you a moment right now. Our bands are going to come on all of our campuses. I want to give you a moment to, to make a decision, to just start your year right. And I don't know what that decision is. For some of you, you, it's time for you to get baptized. Don't put it off. Be courageous. Step up. Some of you need to just say, I'm going to be consistent. No more wavering. Week in, week out, I'll be here. In, God's, in the presence of God's people. Others of you just need to say, I need to start welcoming people the way Jesus welcomed this woman. I don't know what it is, but I'm going to pray God gives you the strength and courage to just be obedient because we all need to come to his altar, to his feet. His arms are open wide. Let's sing this and then I'll come close us out. Christ is risen. 
Is there, is there one good reason you shouldn't say yes to whatever Jesus is telling you right now? And the answer is no. So you just be obedient. You'll be obedient and start your 2023 in a way where God can change you. Father, I wanna pray for every person here. I wanna pray a very specific prayer for the marriage right now that is really on the rocks. They're not even sure they're gonna make it. One of them has not gone on with Jesus. Both of them, maybe. I pray for an obedient step to say yes to your invitation. Would you change their lives? I pray for the teenager here today that has chased a lot of different things in this world. They need to realize that you're the only thing that can fill that void they fill. I pray for the mom that feels anxious, for the dad that's had success, but he still feels empty. God, I pray for the single person here today, recently divorced, never thought it'd be this way. Would you tell them today that you're ready to change their life? We have to say yes, we have to be obedient. And God, I pray for all of us that 2023 would be the year of consistency that we would do consistently what others do occasionally and we would see it transform us. And I pray all this in Jesus' name when we all said, amen. CCV, go all in. Have a great week. See you soon.